Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. A brokerage beatdown. The brokerage stocks tanking as Schwab ups the ante in the price wars. So who will come out on top in this race to zero? We'll debate it. Plus, we're keeping an eye on shares of Stitch Fix. That stock bouncing around after reporting results. The company's conference call is just getting underway. We'll bring you all the highlights. And later, one top technician says this chart is looking so bad, it's good. Where he is finding big opportunity right now. But we begin with the manufacturing meltdown. Stocks kicking off the quarter deep in the red as a key read on the health of the U.S. economy slips to its lowest level since the Great Recession. So that got us thinking. Is history about to repeat itself? We're firing up the Fast Money Time Machine for a trip back to a year ago when this was playing out on our air. You hear the music and you see the raging bull and you know what that means. The Dow hitting a record high for the first time since January 26. Joining the S&P 500 and NASDAQ, which are both at all-time highs as well. So that was the setup heading into Q4 of last year. But wait, fast forward just a few days and this happens. Fast Money starts right now with breaking news. Stocks getting shattered today. The Dow having its worst day since February, tanking more than 800 points. The selling accelerating into the close. And we close at the dead lows of the day. S&P 500 now having its worst losing streak in two years. So the question I pose to you all tonight as we kick off Q4, are we setting up for a repeat of last year, Tim? Well, think about year over year where we are in terms of expectations. So expectations on earnings, we've ratcheted down dramatically. We were in high double digits expectations at this point in 2018. Think about the Fed. If anything, people were very concerned about the Fed's next move to tighten, not to cut. Um, If anything, we're evaluating one, possibly two. And if anything, the markets would be very disappointed by nothing. But that is not where we were last year. And third of all, um, last year can't happen because... Of last year, I mean, my sense because is because it happened last year can't happen. Well, too many people expect. Yeah, I mean, look, look at positioning based upon what happened last year. So many people were destroyed uh, in that two-month period where volatility went from from nowhere to being very relevant. Uh, I think you have a dynamic, and we talk about the equity under positioning, and, and I think therefore, I, I you know, look, the fundamentals are getting worse and worse. Um, the market uh, is aware of those fundamentals, and if anything, I think at this point the market is is offsides on a move to the upside. Yeah, we put together some then and nows in terms of differences. You, you nailed a couple of them. Another key one, obvious, is rates uh, hit a high last yeah. year, about 3-plus percent. Three this year we're at 1.64 or wherever we are right now. Pete, but Tim brings up a good point in terms of positioning. We're much more defensive sure. going into the fourth quarter versus yep. where we were last Rotation year. Rotation into some yeah. of the defensive names, absolutely. I mean, some of those names are probably stretched, but they're maybe stretched for the right reasons because people are looking for areas where they feel more comfortable, where they're getting some, some kind of a yield, and obviously that's put them in a lot of these other areas. I think the other thing is when, you, when, when we're looking at this, this is still about the trade war. And, and, and we already know in the next week or so, we're going to start getting a little bit closer to finding out where are we, how far apart are we. Maybe. And then obviously, Do you believe just, that? Maybe. I, I think we'll at least, <laughs> yeah, I think we'll have a little sense of how far apart are we and, or, or have we come a little bit closer. And I think the aggressiveness of the Chinese and the fact that they're willing to come here, we're willing to get into these trade meetings, that says something. And I, and I think, and that's why when it wasn't Trump, but it was actually the Chinese that said we're going to be doing this, that got me a little bit more encouraged. 
I'm, I'm nervous. This is, I'm way more nervous now because, all right, the Fed has cut. They were tightening then. They've been cutting now. So that's one thing that we don't have that much firepower left to right. go, mm-hmm. right? So that's something. The trade war had just gotten started. I think it was July of 2018 when it sort of just got started. And I really believed at that time that it would be a relatively finite amount of time before it would be resolved, that it would be really not that big of a deal. Well, here we are, you know, 13 months later, 14 months later. I think they're further apart by a good deal than they were then. So that's a negative to me. You have economies around the world, which Tim touched on, which are weaker, right? They don't have as much firepower anymore. So um, to me, that all sets up and, and you have a much higher market. Right. Yeah. So all of those things together make me more nervous. However, you know, I'm long. I'm always long, but I, I have a lot of protection. I feel like, you know, the VIX was up a lot today, but I think it should have been higher than where it was a week or two. Yeah, ago. we've got a lot of tariffs that are going to come into effect mm. unless there's more progress uh, made in these talks come December. And these tariffs are going to hit the U.S. consumer, which is a very different scenario from what we had last year when there weren't tariffs in place that hit consumers. I think you have to go back to August 1st. That's when Trump kind of threatened these consumer tariffs. 300 billion, I think, that were going to go into uh, into effect on September 1st. And then we get to the end of August and it caused a lot of volatility in the stock market. And we saw those tariffs, or at least half of them, pushed out to December 15th. I think that's going to cause a good bit of trepidation. It's kind of interesting when you think about the S&P 500, going back to our rewind, we're basically in the same exact spot. I mean, we haven't made a lot of progress, except for what Tim said I think is really important is that expectations, at least for earnings, are much lower. So you'd say, okay, that's kind of put a lid on the stock market. Then you go to rates, right? And you say to yourself, well, that's actually good for the stock market, except for the fact if they're going down for the wrong reasons. And that's what we saw today with that manufacturing uh, data. So if you put all the pieces in there and you say to yourself, are we a little bit complacent back here within a couple percent of the all-time highs as we were last September? There's a lot of other ingredients in place, though, from a geopolitical standpoint that I think are a bit messier than they were last year. Because every month or every quarter that the trade war goes longer, the damage done to the global economy, I think, is, takes that much more to be undone. And, and, and I know we know that economies don't turn on a dime. While markets can on tweets and headlines, mm-hmm. economies don't. And it may take some time to kind of work out of this malaise that we've been in for a yeah, while. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And I know, uh, I think Tony's going to kind of push back on the data and say it may be a, a positive spot. So I look forward to that. But when I, when I look at Vietnam printing, this is one of the high growth economies of the world. Vietnam prints at a 50.5 PMI level. Last night, you actually had the employment component of the U.S. ISM, which basically is telling you somewhat of a real live look into the labor markets. And that's the lowest print we've had since 2016. You look around the world, those PMIs, Germany is basically at the lows of 2009. That's right. Back to you know, June of 2009, I should say, when, when we were talking about things like green shoots. So as Dan points out, it, it, the, the trade war is a double edged dynamic for traders here because you have a case where some people say solve this trade war and back to work we go and it's going to be OK eventually. The reality is that it doesn't work like that. I agree. And, and I think the pain that you're seeing, so when you get these prints, and this is why uh, I think you can say this time could be a little bit different if you look at weaker ISMs in the, in the history, because you don't have the prospect of a trade war that really is, is hanging over this whole thing. Right. So I go back to the original question we started off with the show, and that is, could we be seeing a repeat of Q4 of last year? What do you think? No doubt about it. I mean, I think, like, again, I think the, the 
things have gotten messier, and I think that 20% peak to trough, uh, trough decline came from an S&P that was up 9% in September of, of 2018, and here we are up 17% in the S&P 500, and there just seems to be no shortage of headwinds, including the dollar that we haven't even talked about making two-year highs, and, and I can't see anybody who wants to sell a stock, or I can't find anybody who wants to sell a stock. So to me, I think despite defensive positioning, it seems like there's a level of complacency that's very similar to a year ago. Karen? Um, I don't know. I feel like we, we are higher than where we were. We have some things that I don't see repeating that helped us. But I, I don't know. I mean, Tony's going to take the other side of this. With the volatility index here, we haven't seen one thing that's really important. We haven't seen credit markets start to fall apart at mm-hmm. all, right? Which that's they the did in October. Thing left. They last did year. last year. And to me, so I'm short some of the credit uh, stuff because I think that is that is. That could be... You're waiting for it to turn, then. I'm waiting for it to you turn. You think it'll turn. Well, you should hedge yourself. Turn. I mean, yeah, that, yeah. that makes right. sense. I mean, yeah. if- I'm long. I will lose money if we have another right. you know, return of last year. But the credit markets haven't turned. The IPO markets have turned very swiftly, very dramatically. Okay. Yeah. I, oh, think, no, I, I, I think that's a really important point, because that's another one of these things we look at year over year. What, what we're seeing is an IPO market that's caving. Okay, yeah. We're seeing um, the, the story stocks caving. People were willing to buy and ask questions later, look at balance sheets later, look at earnings later. Mm-hmm. Profitability is suddenly very important. Very different environment, I think, year over year in terms of a tolerance for risk. So I uh, agree with that, Pete. Well, I think a lot of these folks have gone in there just thinking everything you throw money at before it IPOs is going to make you money, right? And, and now they're, they're finally figuring this out. I don't know about if that's such a great read necessarily, but what I do see is, to Dan's point, is when we had that big drop last year, wasn't everybody just elated and excited and everything was all great and everything is fine and whatever? And this is a little bit different because it's not just the fang names leading. It's other parts of the market that are participating. So it is a little bit more defensive. So from that perspective, I don't think people are just looking at this saying, hey, more I think we go better? better in terms of what are they looking forward more to. They already know what happened last year. So because of that, right. I think that does pull back and people right. look at that. All right. Well, one major Wall Street bull is telling clients not to worry about the weak man manufacturing numbers. Tony Dwyer is the chief market strategist at Canaccord Genuity, aforementioned bull. Tony, <laughs> welcome back. Thanks. Um, Bearded bull. Bearded bull. So you, so you listen to what we all said. There are plenty of reasons to, to worry about this market, plenty of reasons for that muscle memory to kick in to Q4 of last year. So give me the number, you know, the number one reason why we shouldn't think that is the case. Credit's totally different. I mean, remember last October, I think I was on the, you know, news flash special at, at CNBC. And it, it came from the Fed being overly hawkish. Remember, remember Fed Chair Powell saying that he's going to raise a number of times next year? And then you fast forward into December and he was way more hawkish than you thought he was going to be? Even Janet Yellen recently said on Friday that the Fed is being too optimistic to U.S. growth. The 10-year note yield going from three and a quarter to 150, everybody loves to talk about how that's driven by the negative yields in Europe. And no, it's driven by the data's bad. We're in the third mini recession, which we've talked about on, on the last t- couple times I've been on of this cycle. The data is supposed to be as bad as 2016. It's supposed to be as bad as 2012. That's kind of driving what the 10-year note yield is doing. And in both of those occurrences, the S&P 500 made its 20% low months before the 10-year did. So the market's acting very similar to that. The only thing that'll cause a real sustainable, I'm getting out, oh my God, now that we've started the doomsday clock, if you remember the show that we did that, that one, um, with the inverted yield curve, is when the consumer falls apart and there's, it's really hard to say that that's happening. It's just not happening. 
Are those tariffs that could kick in December 15th, is that a concern? I mean, when you see consumer confidence slipping, for instance, I mean, are these things that could add up in your mind to the consumer losing some of its strength? Mel, it could create volatility. And I think one of the most important influences I can have on the show and in our client base is to those news items create volatility, whether you're a sustainable bear. And I've written reports where the title is cash is king. So I'm kind of known as a permable for the last 10 years because I have been. Because credit's been good. It all comes down to if interest rates are going against you and companies and households don't have access to money. That's what causes a recession in the United States of America where it's a consumer-driven economy. The people at this desk need to have access to money. The last time I was on, I talked to the technician that was on. He saved $1,200 a month in 15 minutes on a refi. My business manager saved $600 a month on a refi. In 2008, there was a buddy of mine moved from Chicago to Greenwich. He had five million bucks in his account in the bank. Wanted to get a two million dollar mortgage in Greenwich. They made his dad co-sign the well, loan and have him put up fifty percent. <laughs> so think about that. That's when money's shutting down. Mm-hmm. We're not that. But Tony, explain to us here. So we have the S and P 500 at the same spot it was a year ago, and like you said, the ten-year sure. Treasury then was at three percent. Now it's at one six four or something like that. That's so right. it's been cut in half here. Why are stocks at the same spot as they were a year ago if the rates being lower are much better for the economy, for the consumer, for, for access to capital? Well, you, you had a, you've had a multiple contraction. Our, our target, as you guys know, is 29.50 for this year. It's right around there, plus or minus. I'm very much focused on next year's 33.50 because I, I really have a high conviction mm-hmm. level that we're going there because of the drop. Remember last year, Dan, everything in the summertime, markets are making new highs. Even though the Fed is raising rates, earnings are ripping. We had the tax cut tailwind. Everything is all good. Earnings per share are up 20%. That was the time to be nervous. Not when expectations are we're going to have negative earnings this quarter, which I doubt. You're going to have negative earnings. You've got the tariff uh, headwinds, which Karen's done a great job of talking about. You have the uh, other economic headwinds that we're all aware of. Those things are real. They're there. They're going to create volatility. The question is, what are you going to do with it? And you only sell volatility like that, meaning sell stocks because of volatility, when you think you're going into a sustainable recession, which is only driven by a shutdown in credit. My business manager and the technician ain't getting money that fast if banks are shutting down or shadow banks are shutting down credit. So that's really the driver here is there's so much money. So that all makes sense. But when I look at, at uh, debt to GDP, corporate debt to GDP, basically where we were at the peak of the, of the crisis, financial crisis, so or going into that. Um, and we know that there's this big triple B tranche of, of essentially uh, one cut above junk. Sure. Um, you don't really get an opportunity to see credit turn around. And in fact, on October 1st, um, uh, you know, two days before October 3rd, when we really saw that sell off, credit looked okay. Okay. And then suddenly credit didn't look so good very, very quickly. Well, and if anything, the, what the recession does is it changes the outlook of growth for companies, especially ones that have levered balance sheets. And when corporates have binged on, on, on free money, um, yeah. I, that to me is the credit impact. So three weeks ago, the BAA, Moody's BAA average yield, which same thing as triple B, made a record low in yield, record low in yield on a record week of new issuance. So... If corporate credit shuts down, it's going to take some time to spend that money. Companies don't get the money in the next 15 minutes. Most of them spend it, right? They kind of figure out what their capital spending plan is, where their, asset, their, their capital allocation is going to be. A rec- record amount of new issuance at a record low in yield. 
what that's telling you is there's not enough credit. Now, you guys know me well enough. This does not end well. You cannot fix debt with exponentially more debt. Mm-hmm. But you've got to shut down the availability of that debt, Timmy, which, as you know, they haven't done it yet. Just forget about my opinion and your opinion or anybody's opinion. Look at the data. The data is telling you that there's not enough credit for the pension fund demand to get the returns they need. Tony, thank you. Good to see you. Tony thank Flyer, you, Mayor. Canaccord Genuity. Coming up, a brokerage beatdown. Shares of Schwab hammered after cutting commissions on online trades. Kind of break into the brokers. We'll debate that next and later. A quarter pounder. Why J.P. Morgan thinks McDonald's is in for a rough Q3. We're live in Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Charles Schwab tanking today after the company announced it will drop commissions on U.S. stock, ETF, and options trades. Bob Bassani is at the New York Stock Exchange with more on this. Hey, Bob. Hello, Melissa. Uh, The race to zero has been going on for a long time in the e-brokerage space, but the size of the drops in these stocks took a lot of traders by surprise today. Look, 9% drop in Schwab, 15% drop uh, in an E-Trade, 25% decline in Meritrade. The big difference in the reaction is because the reliance on trading revenues differs between them. So just take a look. Schwab gets only a very small portion, about 8% of its total revenues from trading, whereas E-Trade and TD Ameritrade rely much more on those trading revenues, 32% and 36% of their revenues, respectively. Schwab, in fact, gets nearly 60% of its revenues from interest it generates from its bank, as well as asset management, which separately generates nearly a third of its revenues. So why would Schwab cut its commissions to zero? Well, partly this was a response to interactive brokers cutting their commissions last week. But the key to the story is understanding that the crucial issues for these brokers is retain as many customers as you possibly can, because from that, you generate fees and interest revenues. It's that simple. The good news is that these assets have tended to be very sticky. It takes a lot for someone to just get up and leave their broker. But the competition is getting more intense in this space. So, for example, J.P. Morgan has its You Invest low-cost platform. Bank of America has low-cost brokerage services. There's Robinhood and there's other competitors out there as well. So it's not just the e-brokers. Brokers have had other problems besides trading commissions. Look at this chart. Schwab is down 10% this year, partly because it relies on interest the bank generates. But as interest rates have been dropping, take a look, that's also meant lower revenues for Schwab. So Schwab has actually tended to move in line with rates like the 10-year Treasury yield. You see that right here, rather than the S&P 500. Back to you, Melissa. All right, Bob, thank you. Bob Pisani at the NYSE. So we were talking about this in the green room, Karen, in terms of the revenues lost potentially for Schwab if you bring that 8% commission revenue down to zero. Right. And the amount well, of they, market... They, it's not the full eight they said they would lose. Okay, so let's say it's yeah. like 3 or 4%, or 4% right. okay. to zero. Yep. And then the amount of market cap they lost based on a 10% decline. Right. That seems mm. like an outsized response yeah. to what's happened. I mean, it was very interesting strategic move. It hurts them less than it hurts everybody else. If it's going this way anyway, good for them to sort of be in front of it. I was just, I haven't really followed Schwab closely. I can't believe they have $3.7 trillion in client assets. That is a pretty enormous number. I mean, you can see if it is really sticky how valuable that is. This is sort of intriguing to me. If rates ever turn, that's the other part that Bob touched on. Right. 
right? The spread game for them could really, really be profitable for them and the others. But for them, it, it's enormous. I actually, I, I haven't looked at it. This is sort of intriguing to me. I wouldn't buy something on the first day after a move like this. I'd let it shake out a little bit. But it's actually interesting. It does seem like a big reaction. Yeah, it's also worth noting. I mean, these uh, e-brokers, as they were called back 20 years ago when they proliferated during the dot-com bubble, you know, they were at the time nipping at the heels of the wirehouses, the, the Merrill yeah. Lynch's and the UBS's, Payne Weber, all that sort of stuff. Now, you know, they're on a multi-front war here, right? They're still competing a bit with the wirehouses. They still want those balances. But now, all of a sudden, they have Robin. Hood, which is a VC-backed company, which loses money, I suspect, which really started with the whole zero commission sort of thing. Now, interestingly enough, I think Schwab, to all the points that are going to be made here, they want to cross-sell. They want to keep those assets. They want to keep them there, they're and they'll do other things. Offense. Well, I mean, they'll, they'll no, do they're not. They'll do, well, they, well, they well, are relative to their peer group. These guys Look are all on breakdown. I, disre- I disagree. Well, but, but relative to the competitive landscape, right? I, I relative to double it up. Split them up. I would say this. He's geeked up. This, is, this whole issue is because there are disruptions disruptors out there. And it's absolutely killing the names that we all know because they were disruptors, right? Whether it's Interactive or TD or Schwab or whomever it might be. And now they've got robo-advisors out there. they got all kinds of other competition coming at them now. And that's the big problem because how do they defense this over time? I don't know how they're going to other than trying to gain as much assets as they can. They try to get whatever fees they can and obviously interest. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, for Charles Schwab, it's, oh, it's an just asset a, grab. It's a money right. grab right now. It's an asset grab. Their money, and there so. are disruptors out there right. that are absolutely going to take them out. And yeah. that's going to be the problem. And these are legacy companies with far too many employees, far too many costs, and their efficiencies are not uh-huh. there. Their competitors have very few employees because they are completely differently built on behind the scenes, they don't need companies. as many. They're software companies. But take a look. Exactly. Take a look also at the traditional asset we built, managers. We built this thing. I know exactly. exactly. You built I, I the platform yourself. Yeah. Um, the traditional asset managers today, Franklin Resources, T. Rowe. I mean, they are under pressure too. You think oh. ETFs trading at zero ETFs for zero? Zero. I mean, that compresses expense ratios as well. Where do these guys make money? Well, That's if you, if you look at the mutual fund companies and, and you know, the, the irony is, of course, Blackstone is coming off of all-time highs. They are not a mutual fund company. Right. They, they actually are very tactical, very opportunistic in a low-rate environment. They also have had a lot of exits, um, despite what you're hearing about the IPO market. So uh, I, I agree with everything you said, Pete, on disruption. I, I would just simply say, relative to its peers, they are on offense. They're basically seeing the writing on the wall, and they know that their revenue mix is very different than some of the other peers we just talked about because, as we just said, 8%, even if it goes to 4%, leaves them in a different position than some of the other guys we just mentioned. Well, the, the competition yeah. level, I understand what you're saying, but the, really, the big problem right now that they face is that they still are, look at, they, they're the last ones to do this. Interactive had already done it, TD had done it, all the rest of them had already done it, and they're finally reacting to this whole thing, gone from 7.99 to 4.99 to zero. I mean, that's their trading. That's what they've done. And that's because the disruptors are taking over and people well, just don't what, see it. What last time we saw a consolidation. So yeah. we'll see that again soon. All right. You can read more about the brokerage pricing wars on our website, CNBC.com. We are live at the NASDAQ market site in New York. Here's what else is coming up on the show. A technical takedown. One top technician says this chart looks so bad, it's good. He'll tell us where he's finding opportunity. And later, back from the dead, pool? Why, one of our traders says Ryan Reynolds could single-handedly turn things around for Netflix. We'll explain when Fast Money returns. 
Welcome back to Fast Money Stocks, finishing the day deep in the red. The Dow and S&P handing in their worst days since August and on the back of the weak manufacturing data. Meantime, Europe has been pumping out some pretty bad data of its own. But our next guest says that might actually be a good thing. Let's go off the charts with Chris Verone of Strategus. Chris, what are you looking at? We're looking at European PMIs. We know they've been awful. They've been bad for two years now, though. So this is the German PMI. It peaked two years ago at 63 we know what the last two years have looked like, 63 all the way down to the current print, about 41. That's about as bad as we see historically. And I think the question is, after two years of weakness, what is priced into the stocks here? So what we did, we went back historically and looked at all the times that the German PMI has been this low. What have German stocks done over the next six months? So when we look at some of these dates here, September of 01, April of 03, Jan 09, May 12. The forward performance six months later is exceptional, up 25, up 24%, up 22, up 19. So the question we ask ourselves today, German PMI at 41.7, is it so bad that it's good? So let's look at the stocks. This is the Euro stocks, 600 index. Did this 20% decline Last year, price in what the data is already telling us right now. When I look at the market today, remarkably resilient, consolidating above and upward sloping 200-day moving average. It's held to 50. I think the next move here is up, not down. That bad news is priced in. A longer-term look. This is Euro stocks going back over the last 30 years. We failed here in 99. We failed here in 2000. We failed here in 2015. We failed here in 2018. We think this time is different. We think we're at these highs, but we're at the bottom of the cycle. So all the bad news priced in, I would play for a major breakout here. And what is one stock in Europe that may already be sending that message? One of the biggest names, ASML, Bellwether Semi. It's already broken out. You had basically two years of nothing over the last couple of weeks, along with the semis broadly, has acted really, really well. So we know the data is bad. The PMIs have been terrible. But what's priced in at this point? And do we want to start saying, hey, this is so bad it might be good? I think the message from semis, I think the message from Europe says, get long here. All right, Chris, come on wow. over. We will bring the chair in. Loving you as well. Thank you very much, Will. <laughs> All right, so Chris, um, Banks are a big part of European yeah. indices, and so if you isolate banks, yeah. does that chart look as good as the overall Eurostock 600? You know, there's been some quiet improvement over the last number of months, but I don't think you can sit here and say, oh, the banks are what's going to be what, what leads Europe higher uh, over coming months and coming quarters. Now, Europe broadly, as we know, is a very value-oriented energy. A lot of energy, a lot of banks. The U.S. banks are on far firmer technical ground than the European banks here. So I think if you want to make a bank call, do it closer to home. J.P. Morgan acts great. Bank of America actually acts okay. Some of the regionals have started to turn. Now, I recognize today was soft. It's going to make people uncomfortable. Is this going to be a repeat of 4Q last year? I think the market's on firmer technical ground, both here domestically and in Europe. Why is it firmer? I mean, uh, yeah. I know that your call is on Europe, but why is the U.S. on firmer technical ground here versus a year ago? Well, first let's talk domestically, then let's talk geographically. Domestically, right now you have more stocks above the 200-day average, so more stocks in an uptrend than you did a year ago with the S&P at a lower level. So in, the internals are actually broader. And geographically, think back one year ago. 
the only thing working anywhere in the world was U.S. large cap tech. It's broader today. Europe acts better. Brazil's in a bull market. Russia acts good. Korea might be bottoming. Hong Kong might be bottoming here. Samsung has turned up. So a lot of the bellwethers around the world, I think, paint a stronger picture today than what we saw 12 months hence. Okay. In Europe, so you're saying that we're going to see a big European breakout led by European technology companies? Well, there's not many European they don't technology exist. companies, yeah. right? But I wanted <laughs> to highlight ASML because okay. <laughs> just given that it's such a, this is a $100 billion company in what globally has been a very good group. Look at every global bellwether semi. TXN, Samsung, ASML, Taiwan Semi, just major breakout over the last couple of weeks. So I think it sets a good tone that there's some cyclicality right. returns to this market. But the banks are sort market. of eh, technically in Europe. A lot of consumer in Europe. Right? Okay, and so I think, the consumer is going to be yeah, the, the and I, I think one of the sector. real important charts within Europe, look at discretionary versus staple. So the more cyclical discretionary names actually starting to outperform the staple. So you've seen a turn there. Now, a lot of healthcare in Europe as well, particularly in the Swiss market, that's acted well here okay. as well. So I think there's things to do over there. All right, Chris, thank you. Thank you. Chris Verone, Strategus, you. you buy Europe? Really interesting stuff Chris is bringing to the table. Uh, you have to assume we're getting a trade deal, though, because, I mean, think about the weightings in Germany. Uh, you're talking about auto stocks. You're talking about Siemens. You're talking about hyper uh, uh, kind of trade stocks, but it, it's down 22% on a relative basis to the S&P since the, essentially the blow off top of Gen 28. It's got to be the euro two. Here's the other part. Half of your investment is going to be probably currency, and Europe is basically trading at two-year lows to the dollar. That's good for this trade. Yeah, real quickly on the semis, you mentioned Taiwan semi. It does look beautiful. It broke out of a two-year base, Love but on line. the flip side oh. here, guys, Xilinx, which is also driven by a lot of the same factors, 5G builds, that sort of thing, is down 40%. It just made a new low in two thousand, you know, this still up on the year a little bit. But I think there's 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 a counterpoint for every interesting thing. I said, think Chris said a lot of great stuff if you didn't know about the qualitative stuff, the headwinds that are facing this global economy. All right. We have got an earnings alert coming up on Stitch Fix. The stock headed lower in the after hours. The company's conference call is underway. We'll break down the big headlines and later big beef for McDonald's. Why JP Morgan just ordered up a not so happy meal for the good golden oh. arches. Fast Money's back right after this quick break. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Stitch Fix. That stock under pressure in the after-hour session, down almost 4%. For all the details in the quarter, let's get to Courtney Reagan at headquarters. Hey, Court. Hi, Melissa. So in reaction to the earnings, Stitch Fix shares had been down as much as 11%. Then they were up about 2%. After some pretty big moves ahead of the earnings in the last two sessions on really no real news, Stitch Fix did gain 4% in today's session, 5%. On Monday, so the quarter's revenue and active users relatively in line with expectations, better than expected earnings. Though the current quarter revenue guidance range is below consensus. Full-year guidance, though, is in line. Revenue per active client, that grew 9% in the fiscal fourth quarter for the company. And on the conference call, which is ongoing, the CFO, Paul Yee, addressed the impact of tariffs, saying it was figured into guidance. The company is working to mitigate the impacts, but put together, those impacts are expected to be immaterial. Executives have also been spending a lot of time talking about new personalized offer programs, including recommendations for clothing and accessories that would go with what a consumer has already purchased from Stitch Fix, as well as offering new colors, prints, or sizes for items that customers bought previously. There's still yet to be much detail about that launch in the U.K., though, on the call. It is worth noting that the share moves... Um, are pretty volatile in this name before and after earnings. The short interest in Stitch Fix is about 40%. The past four earnings reports have seen double-digit moves in reaction to these results. It could be a bumpy ride again tomorrow, Melissa. 
All right, Courtney, thank you. Courtney Ray, and, and um, we're going to hear from Citrix uh, CEO Katrina Lake, by the way. She's sitting down with Jim this Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, on Mad Money. So uh, what's your take, Karen? Well, I mean, it's interesting. So I actually find the company intriguing. The valuation is not something I could get my, my hands around, but they make money. They actually do make money, and that is somewhat of a differentiator, right? So I, I, don't, I wouldn't know what to do with it. It's dangerous with the 40% short interest. Either way, I just think stay away. All right, let's move on. Hit shares of McDonald's getting cooked oh. today. Oh. It's our buzzkill. The stock falling more than 2%. After J.P. Morgan warned McDonald's third quarter earnings may be softer than expected, the analysts behind the call also lowering same-store sales growth estimates for the fast food giant following a summer that was dominated by chicken sandwich wars between competitors like Chick-fil-A, Popeye's, and Wendy's. You'll remember the taste test we did right here on Fast Money. Now, despite this warning, J.P. Morgan's still bullish on the Golden Arches with a $230 price target, overweight rating. But is McDonald's hot rally about to cool off? Dan, what's your thoughts? Listen, you know, this is one that's really interesting. There's some mega cap names that, you know, you might de- think are defensive because of, like, the moats that they have and their geographic exposure and that sort of thing. This, from a technical standpoint, has broken that uptrend that's been in place all year long. It looks like a broken stock to me. When you have, uh, you know, bulls, once bulls come out negatively on these things, I think you start putting together some fundamental things, some technical things, some sentiment things, and you say, I don't know why you have to buy it here up so much. And I know you own it, and you... If you went out long, it well, means you I bought that, it last night. Totally but I'm just saying it doesn't look like something you want to commit some fresh capital to. That's totally saying. fair. And, and they're a victim of their own success. The comps are very difficult on the QSR sales. I mean, I think they're somewhere around 2.5%. Um, and this is part of what they're linked. They, they see some insight into those sales numbers and think they're down a bit. So um, agree. I mean, the stock has been a hero for a long time. And why don't you wait for the numbers and see what happens? I think the reality is this is a stock that was just trading at 29 times and 27 times. And now it's starting to pull back a little bit. But when you look at the low end of 17 and the higher end of 29 in terms of PE, and that's things right near that high, I think you got to wait. I agree with you, Dan. I mean, I love some of these companies, whether it's Home Depot, not in Home Depot. because I McDonald's for a long time. Love McDonald's. I think they do a great job. I think they're executing absolutely perfectly, Mel, along with everything they're doing, including obviously speeding up the drive through All the things they're, they're supposed to do, they're doing. Problem is, it's in front of itself because too many people have liked this stock. I think you got to wait for these pullbacks. I think 200 bucks. Great buy, but not here at 209, obviously not 220. All right. Coming up, how Hollywood heartthrob Ryan Reynolds just inserted himself smack dab in the middle of the streaming wars. We will explain. And later, we'll tell you what these three stocks have in common heading into their earnings reports. Don't go anywhere. Much more Fast Money right after this. You could take out some truly evil people. Guys, I got a bad idea. Don't have bad ideas. Have good ideas. Welcome back to Fast Money. That is the first trailer for Six Underground, a new action movie from streaming giant Netflix, featuring Ryan Reynolds. Reynolds tweeting the trailer to the Michael Bay film earlier today, and it's already racked up over a million views. So could the Deadpool actor bring Netflix back from, well, the dead? The stock did catch a bit following the trailer released today, so it's no longer flat on the year, ending the day in the green after falling 27%. Last quarter, Dan. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's not just this mega hunk Ryan Reynolds that we all have man mega crush hunk. on. I'm just saying. <laughs> we we that all thing have dropped, a man crush on. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. That thing dropped today, 
and no one knew about it. And it looks awesome. And then you have The Irishman that caught all this buzz mm-hmm. that's going to be released on November 1st in theaters and then on Netflix. So here's the thing. Netflix is down 35% since the highs in April after Disney had that massive rally when they introduced Disney+. Plus. Now, So Disney went up, Netflix went down. You know, could it go the opposite way? Possibly. You know, I'm, I'm just saying, like, when you think about it from a sentiment standpoint, because it doesn't, Disney's not going to launch this thing on November 12th, and it's just going to be this massive hit all of a sudden confirming the move. And I will tell you that Disney now is hugging this 130 breakout level, which was really important that it stayed above since that breakout in April. Like so it. Disney's at a critical support level. Netflix looks oversold and is about to get a ton of great press. So you're you bullish think, on this one. Well, what I'm saying bullish. is, yeah. this, that's awesome. That's not 35%. Since no, April. I know, but I didn't expect because it. Because he's bullish on something. On anything, but particularly Netflix. I mean, a combination of both. I really am. Well, I'm just saying that we know that it made sense that it went this way for the last few months. It may... Go the other way. For but why, wow. But it, if it made sense it went this way in the last two months, it makes sense it's going lower. I mean, everything about it is, I don't, I mean, look, the Irishman and Ryan, Ryan Reynolds is, you know, he's a hunk, this and that. It's great. But the bottom line here is this is a multiple. Of course he is. Oh, this is a multiple the that doesn't make sense. This is a story stock. Story stocks are getting sold. Yeah, they have to make money. I, They're not, burning cash. I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not I mean, pounding the table. So here, here's, here's what we saw in that last quarter. We saw North American subs decline for the first time in a decade. Are, are the things like Irishmen and this, are they the sorts of things that could reaccelerate that, you know, like yes. that subgrowth? And, and this is the no. sort of stock. No. Well, you might, get to a point, you get to saturation. I mean, that's a Dude, it's, Martin it's, Scorsese so is directing no, Robert it De Niro, Al Pacino, John Pesci. It's too late. I already peaked. I'm Guy's going to watch it. I've got nothing left. Look, I'll see that movie. I think it's great. And again, Ryan Reynolds all day long. All day. All day. Fast money, Ryan Reynolds all day. Of course. I hope He's yes. listening. You know, he does He's watch a huge the fan show. of the show. Yeah. Oh, he watches every yeah. night, I'm told. Oh, yeah. hey, where do you now see I'm the Netflix? Blushing. I own or, Netflix. or Ryan Reynolds. I actually own Netflix, and I, I, I tend to lean over towards the, the side where you're, where you're going with. I think that they actually are doing what they need to do. They have some stuff in the in the hopper that I think will actually work for them. And down 35%, it makes some sense that maybe there's some upside from here. And Ryan Reynolds, hunk? Oh, hunk? Yeah. I guess oh. I, I guess he's a hunk. I've been yeah. waiting him in. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure what a yeah, hunk. Yeah. yeah. That's that's the game. Is Ryan a hunk? Yeah. <laughs> is Ryan a hunk? Okay. I guess. I get it. I'm good at the game. But could that movie turn turn the center? I mean, I mean, I'll the positioning, it. right, that's, has that's been awesome. right. It's all about positioning. About you know, in everything in the markets, yeah. positioning got sort of offsides to the negative, maybe. Maybe it's still a pretty rich valuation. Sure. Yeah. I, just to put up a little bow on this the whole thing, sure. I think what, what Netflix has been able to demonstrate, well, you know, I'm not running the show here. What, 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 I, I think that they've been able to demonstrate when they spend a lot of money like on The Irishman or they do this original stuff with like Stranger Things or all of a sudden you see a drop of a movie with an A-list actor like this. They're doing things that traditional studios can't do. So what does that tell me that there's got to be some form of com- combination with Netflix, with a larger entity? Maybe it's back to the Apple scenario. I don't know. Apple but this would is, never do They're it. doing a lot of things well. What they're not doing is making money. They lose a lot of money on a free cash flow basis to do this, okay? So it's not sustainable over the long term, but maybe there's something else. Up next, a slew of economic data out this week could spell trouble for one group of stocks. We'll give you the names and tell you how to trade it. Plus, check out the Kramer cam. Jim is talking with the Con Edison CEO. That full interview and more coming up at the top of the hour at Mad Money. We are live at NASDAQ and Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a bunch of big names gearing up to report earnings tomorrow, and they're going right up against some key economic data. Dan's over at the plaza with a breakdown of the names to watch. Dan. Yeah, so Mel, let's look at three names that I think could be a really interesting preview as we head into earnings season over the next few weeks that are reporting. And as you said, I think they have implications as we get into this jobs data later in the week. Let's start with before the opening tomorrow morning. We have two names I think you really want to keep an eye on and see what they have to say about their guidance and what are the things that are impacting their guidance. Paychecks is one of them. This might be really interesting read through to that jobs data that we're going to get on Friday. The implied move in the options market is about three and a half percent in either direction. That is basically double the move over the last uh, four quarters. And one of the things I think is really interesting about paychecks, while it acts pretty good, it's up pretty nicely on the year, it's been in this downtrend over the last few months. Not a lot of push to the upside as we've seen the S&P make a couple new highs during that period. Um, This is the chart over the last 10 years. It's been an absolute monster, but when you think about that, this is kind of an interesting flag. I suspect it's something that is not particularly sustainable in the near term, especially if we see jobs data starting to um, abate a little bit. Let's go over to Lennar. We've had some home builder data. This is a group that's acted really well with the move in rates that we've seen over the course um, of this year. The implied move in the options market is about 4.5%, which is on average um, how much has moved over the last four quarters. We have seen, like I said, some earnings out of the group, and they've been fine. And that's one of the reasons why maybe this thing is kind of implied in line with the movement. But again, this thing, this chart looks a little different here. This one just broke out to a new high. Um, A lot of strength into that print. I'm not uh, sure that the guidance is going to be something that actually keeps that going. Um, But again, over the last 10 years, I think it's kind of interesting. This was that kind of 2017-18 move, and it's been unable to really break out um, above that level. So again, at a pretty important um, technical level. And then let's go to retail. We know that this has really been a tale of many different cities, but for the most part, a lot of the retailers, like Bed Bath & Beyond, don't act particularly well. Um, The implied move in the options market, this is tomorrow after the close, about 15% on average over the last four quarters. Um, It has moved 13% and here's the thing. One of the reasons for that implied move, the stock has been cut in half from its highs this year. It's made a nice little bounce here. Very high short interest, low expectations here. A really unloved name. So that one has some potential to move. Well, what do we think of Dan's three stocks? Are these uh, There's a lot of information he gave us, by the way. Ooh, he he packed a oh, lot Dan of stuff has. in there. Yeah. Yeah. Lot, so, Dan. As Dan does. I, 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 I tell you, <laughs> Lennard, to me, is the most interesting of the three. I, I'm a seller of Best Buy, Bed Bath & Beyond, excuse me, um, guy with his potpourri and his scented candles. You know, there's not enough of, of, <laughs> of the guys, guys out the there. World. <laughs> um, but when it, when it comes to the home builders and what we've seen actually have Lennard, these guys are profitable. You're certainly in a lower rate environment, which we've seen has had an uptick. If we don't think that that's going to change, I think you stay in some of these home builders. Do you think that this, yeah. do you agree with the premise that this is a, a pastiche Ooh, of the a economy. Nice Maybe wow. the, a mosaic uh, from which to the, glean yes. the picture of a weakening the U.S. economy. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know if, it, I mean, paychecks isn't weakening, right? It's showing, empl- if it correlates very closely with your employment, which it, I assume it does, it shows a very strong consumer, which plays into Lennar, which I agree with that. But Bed Bath & Beyond just doesn't seem to be able to get it right even though the consumer wants to buy the things that Bed Bath & Beyond sells. Well, because they have 20% off coupons. They have not gotten it right what (laughs) seems like forever. I mean, this stock has been struggling. But I look at something like Lennar. I love the housing world right now. I continue to see nothing but positives out of that. So Lennar of the group stands out the most. And we've watched time and time again. The deliveries of housing right now have been great. Yeah. Dan, so are are you saying that these three stocks will be the sort of mosaic 
um, to pile on top of the so, Carnival, the Microns, the FedExes that have yeah, reported so far? I, I think as you think about what the market has been doing in front of, let's say, an earnings season, I think it's really important to get some early looks. And some of the commentary that we may see out of these managements might give you a better sense of how the market trades after we get some much bigger companies and, and a much larger swath of companies reporting. And to me, this is kind of a free look at some of the commentary that we might see. All right. Thanks for that, Dan. Dan Nathan with the Options Action. You can catch the full show, by the way, Fridays, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up next, we've got the final trades. Welcome back to Fast Money. Quickly recapping the day. Stocks tumbling on weak manufacturing data. The Dow and S&P 500 handing in their worst day since August, closing lower by one and a quarter percent. Time now for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Heat. I'm going to go with Quadi and QD, Tim. Chinese company, a lending love, company. Love, like this name. We set some huge call buying in there today. Giddy up. It's going on. All right, so it was the Ryan Reynolds show. I think we need to figure out who's your favorite oh, Ryan Reynolds movie. I'm, I'm just looked a couple of them up. The proposal for sure was very charming. Um, I think it was, I, anyway, Disney. We talked about these ones that make money in the media space. Disney is one of them, not Netflix. I buy Disney. Chairwoman. Yeah, I'm always looking to find ways to hedge the portfolio. I think short HYG is one of them. Very asymmetric risk, I think. Danny. What about his wife in the what? town, Blake Lively? She was amazing. We're not talking about her, though. Yeah, okay. Ryan Reynolds. Reynolds. All right. Uh, SMA, semis? I think you sell every rally here, and I haven't said that in a while. I think, no, I haven't said it for months and months and months. That does it for us. We'll be back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.